Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? Hi, I'm Christopher Jablonski, Director of CXO Revolutionaries. I'm back in the captain's seat as host for this episode of the CIO Evolution. Even with gray clouds looming over the economy, there's a lot of activity in the mergers and acquisition space. How deals are done is changing compared to just a few years ago, while the core objectives are essentially the same, cost reduction and revenue gain. Some notable deals in software this year include Oracle, which picked up Cerner for a greater foothold in healthcare IT, Broadcom acquired VMware, and recently Adobe bought Figma, an interface design tool for $20 billion. With hundreds of clients having deployed Zscaler for such transactions, I invited the global vice president of our M&A and divestiture business, Stephen Singh, to help us understand what he is seeing in the industry globally, plus the economic impact and how the priorities of the board fit in, along with some case studies. Stephen, welcome to the show. Chris, it's great to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation today. Excellent. We're delighted to have you. Let's start from the top. So what is really going on around mergers and acquisitions? You know, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, after a historically successful high last year of over 60,000 transactions, the industry is starting to settle back down to the normal five-year average. You know, it's based upon elevated cost of capital and, you know, reasonable valuations of assets in the market today. So we're seeing a normal um, run rate right now of acquisitions, divestitures, and carbets in the industry. Um, I think we are starting to see a little bit of a difference, though, as risk tolerances go down. Companies are looking to acquire assets that have both growth orientation and are fiscally responsible. A little bit different in the past where there's a little elevated level of risk that was being taken for those acquisitions. Um, you know, the other interesting thing we're noticing right now is that we're going to see a healthy amount of transactions, not just with strategic acquirers, but more importantly, the private equity industry, which equates to more than 50% of all transactions on an annual basis. Not only will we see strong integrations and demand for acquisitions, we'll also start to see strategic organizations doing what's right for their business and focusing on their core, which means they're shedding non-core assets as well. So it looks like there's a lot of players involved and a lot is happening in terms of private equity and other players. Now, if we double click down to what's happening, the, the deal level and the players in the C-suite, you know, one fact I uncovered is that Accenture says CEOs are no longer seeing technology as a cost of doing business in M&A, but rather they see a bigger role. In fact, three of four say that technology is a growing enabler or source of competitive advantage. However, only one in four CEOs report conducting technology due diligence for most of their deals. What do you think is the cause of this? You know, it's an interesting scenario. Uh, the pace of deal making was just furious the past couple of years. And it, I believe it led companies to take unnecessary risk. And that really has changed. 
we think about you know the three fundamental approaches for growth within an organization we always frame it as you can build you can buy or you can partner and building is the organic approach of um, indoctrinating an entire organization from sales and marketing to the enablement piece to the technology component and that's a proven technique for growth but it takes time and investment and sometimes patience which shareholders may not happen to have the second is from a partnership standpoint in our entire industry, every industry is based upon two fundamentals. Number one, building a strong ecosystem that provides um, bi-directional benefits to both parties and also platform. This industry is based upon platform adoption and that's the partnership piece. And the third, which is the most interesting is inorganic growth, which is we call buy. And as we've taken a look at the buy piece, there's never been greater risk associated with it. And there's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, you know, number one, the question is when you acquire a company and you're acquiring not just the technology and the systems, but the operating model, the people and the culture. So that's when the due diligence piece is so incredibly important. And due diligence um, from a company like Zscaler, we look at it from a pure technology standpoint. Uh, what are the systems, applications, users, um, infrastructure, platforms, and code bases? But it's so much broader than that. So pre-closure due diligence is incredibly important to assess the organization, the business model, the financials, sales and marketing. And when it's done correctly by an independent third party, it is a gold seal approval when it's done correctly. So on the one hand, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, you have greater scrutiny, more in-depth due diligence. But on the other hand, there's this need for speed and the shareholders want to see value and some of these long time horizons that typically have been uh, expected of M&As or just simply tolerated are no longer. Uh, is that a safe assessment? You know, that's a nice way to phrase it, Chris. I'll, let me give you a paraphrase how it's done. And we think about pre-closure, which is before anything ever hits, you know, the Wall Street Journal or your favorite news posting about an acquisition of divestiture, there's been months and months of homework that's been done both by the acquiring party and also independent third-party groups for pre-closure due diligence. And they're looking at everything from the surface of the company to the financials, to the public reporting, and to their overall health. Once that's been done, they create you know, an assumption as to what the asset valuation happens to be, and then it goes to sign and close. But everything that's been done up to that point is purely a paper exercise or hasn't exactly been a particular point of view of actually what's occurring behind the curtains. Once that's been signed and closed, that's when the fun begins. That's what we call post-closure due diligence. Post-closure due diligence is landing a team on site of that asset you just acquired and spending anywhere from three to six to nine months doing a formal assessment as the level of risk you've encountered, both from a governance, but also from a risk and a compliance perspective. That due diligence is often done by an independent third party. And at the end of the ninth month period, you've got an enormous PowerPoint presentation explaining all the problems that you've encountered, but not yet once have you actually put in place a plan to remediate it. So if you think about time to value, it's incredible how much it used to take to actually get an acquisition integrated within your fabric. One of the more unique things we're noticing with many companies out there today, especially the industry-leading serial acquirers, and there's roughly a couple thousand of them in the industry, and a serial acquirer does anywhere from three to five transactions per year. They're actually automatically assuming an asset they acquire is fully compromised. So they immediately walk in with a game plan of shields up, 
and using proper zero trust techniques, they're very able to quickly integrate that asset into the organization, alleviating months and quarters of homework, which don't necessarily improve the valuation of the asset. That's fascinating. So what you're saying is by ensuring that at least the IT and cybersecurity aspect of an integration is expedited and done you know, properly, you may be reducing the chances of the overall risk of an M&A uh, from, from failing because apparently we've seen, I think the stats like 70 to 80% of all M&As you know, do not realize the envisioned synergy values. Is that a fair assessment or is there something more at play here that say Zscaler can help? No, I think that's spot on, Chris. And as we think about the uh, success rate of an integration or separation, it's relatively low. And many of those are measured based upon have they achieved the synergy growth, which is incremental revenue of one plus one equals three. But more importantly, one of the things is also around being able to show the necessary value capture and cost savings or synergy savings at the end of day two. And that's one of the hardest things because what we often find out is that the leadership team that starts the actual transaction for integration or separation, two or three years later, may actually not be there to complete it. So a lot of those expectations that were set early on during the transaction um, post-closure, excuse me, signed to close, sometimes missed the mark. Understood. Let's shift gears and talk more about boards and corporate strategists. You know, this podcast is for the, the CIO and other IT leaders, but the decisions and the modeling is happening you know, in a different spot. And of course, the board has a view into it. What would you say uh, is something that you're hearing quite a lot from the boards that are involved in the deals with, uh, with Zscaler? The boards have really changed a lot in the past two years, as have the economy. And I think what we're starting to take um, a perspective on is accountability. And there's some great studies out there, whether it happens to be some work from EMI or PwC, but they all seem to triangulate on the top priorities. And we can go through the top 10, but the three that seem to resonate the most at the board. Number one is growth. Even during uncertain economic times, growth is still a priority. Number two is around transformation and how are they changing, not just the technology, but more important, the business and the operating model. And then lastly is risk and cybersecurity. Uh, it's hard to imagine that you can't pick up a single tabloid today and not see an announcement of a, comp of a company that's been compromised. There was a rather large ride-sharing company compromised very recently, and that certainly made the front page headlines. And it's fair to say they're not the only ones they're one in the thousandth out there today. So this is now top of mind to the board because it impacts the brand, the awareness, and more importantly, the valuation of that company, which obviously impacts shareholders as well. So definitely seeing a huge change of perspective. And how would you describe the other trends of moving more and more workloads to the cloud? You mentioned digital transformation and more of this shift to, to OPEX. What is our position on that? You know, how I'd like to phrase it is that we're noticing clients trying to figure out a way to create an environment that has minimal IT footprint. And when you do that, it gives you choice and flexibility. And of course, the term everyone likes to talk about when migrating to a CSP or cloud service provider is agility. 
So when we think about the, the discussions we're having with clients today, it absolutely happens to be, how do we take your most important assets, which are users and your applications and policies, and taking them from being on-premise and putting them in the cloud? Because now you can have a mobile workforce and an environment where workloads can exist anywhere at any time without the dependency of backhauling that communications to a data center, which for all intents and purposes is a shell. So that's the first thing we're noticing about it. And that technique I articulated of connecting users to applications with policy in the cloud is really the foundation of how you do a transaction in the cloud, whether it's an integration or separation. Um, the second thing we're seeing a lot about is how to utilize a zero trust architecture for managing risk and compliance and audit controls. This is a really interesting topic. As everyone knows who's listening, zero trust is a strategy and an approach over a multi-year period to provide least privileges based upon the risk that each particular point provide, uh, presents, whether it's a user, an application, an OT, IoT device. And oh, I wouldn't say the term zero trust is at the board. It actually has come up a little bit. It's really about how do you make sure you're protecting your most important assets, your data, your intellectual property, your applications and your user. The third that we're noticing is around transformation journeys, which is a lot of fun right now, is not just getting cloud um, application workloads to the cloud, it's how do you use intelligence? So machine learning, artificial intelligence, based upon the vast amount of telemetry coming in to make better business decisions. Number two, how are you improving a user experience? Your most important asset are your employees. And if your employees aren't having a good day, it really impacts their productivity and performance. Wouldn't it be great to ensure they have that really good day every single day? And when they don't, uh, the company knows about it beforehand because it improves retention. And more importantly, as I mentioned before, the performance and experience they're getting. And then what are you doing with your environments, which we often overlook? We think within uh, the realms of IT, we capture all things technology related, but we have to remember half the environment is in the manufacturing, distribution, and supply chain environment, which we call IT and IoT. So in those OT, IoT environments, there's also a really important fit of how we're modernizing that and securing it because that critical infrastructure is top of mind for malicious activity. So everything I just described to you, I think the most beautiful thing about it is that it, those are just building blocks. We consider them to be Lego blocks that we stitch, uh, we stick together, creating an immaculate building um, as we think about a transaction for an integration or separation. So as I mentioned, you know, whether it happens to be transformation journeys, migration journeys, protecting through zero trust, all of those are fundamental building blocks for an M&A integration or divestiture we're seeing. That's a wonderful visual. I, like, I could just see the Lego blocks stacking up so that you can deploy the ingredients for a future-proofed environment. And if M&A happens to be the use case, it could be done there just as cleanly, right? We spoke a bit about the Zscaler and zero-trust approach, uh, but what about case studies and knowing, you know, you mentioned during one of our uh, prep calls that you're able to take uh, a deal and go from A to Z and not just 26 letters, but 13. You know, what did you mean by that? Uh, the the M&A playbooks or the divestiture playbooks that have been out there have been there for 20 years and they're proven and they're very well, uh, very mature. What they haven't taken into account is transformation. And transformation, as I mentioned before, all those things around automation, orchestration, cloud migration, and then more importantly, managing your risk based upon uh, the policy. What we've been able to do is take that really long and tooth M&A playbook and invert it completely. 
And what once took 26 steps to get from the letter A to the letter Z, we can now do it in 13. Um, some of our really good clients are doing it in six letters. And our very best, as I can tell you, can do it in two. We were at Xenof Live uh, in May, excuse me, in June. And one of the CISOs from San Mino was on stage with us presenting. And an audience member reached up and asked, how long did it take to complete your last acquisition? And Matt was nice enough to say, you know what? We did our acquisition at 800 people in all of four hours with one person. And it really drew a gasp from the audience because when you've done M&A before using that old playbook, you're talking about a one year journey between when initially the clock starts till you actually get to the point of being able to integrate the resources in just to begin adding value. And we're now hearing our customers telling us they're able to show value within four hours. It's game changing. And more importantly, it is truly a competitive advantage that hundreds of them across the world are taking advantage of. In terms of some other scenarios, is there anything you could share with notable deals? You know, it could be anonymous. Yeah, absolutely. And, and once again, if we think about what Zscaler does better than any other company in the world around mergers and acquisitions to vestitures in the cloud, not only have we created a modern playbook that is digital ready, you know, we're now showing value propositions that have never been seen before. I mentioned before the previous example of taking an actual transition transaction of integrating a company from years down to hours, which is unprecedented. You know, number two, uh, we've had clients where we've helped them with their acquisitions. They have an acquisition target. They have no idea what the level of risk happens to be. And being able to put in place our proxy architecture uh, using SSC, we can start to put in place and approach them to integrate those users even though those users may be fully compromised, connecting them in only to select applications in the acquirers. That is unprecedented because I mentioned before, you may spend nine months doing homework to see how compromised you are and another nine months to remediate it. We're basically working with our clients who may or may not know if the asset has been compromised and helping them get integrated within once again, hours and days and weeks, which is record time for that. Uh, the third we're noticing right now around um, the environments is, is what we call synergy savings. I really like synergy savings because ultimately that's how we can move the needle on the valuation of an asset, not just growth, but how much cost can we take out. When you integrate two companies or you separate two companies, there's an out, enormous amount of technical debt and overlapping technology. If you can make sure you can meet day one change of control, um, you can then focus by day two which is how do you take out that excess? So we are very bullish on creating uh, what we call an IT-less estate. And we mean that in the kindest of ways. Uh, we've worked with dozens of customers and clients out there today, especially in the private equity industry, where we can completely stand up a company with zero IT footprint. Utilizing Zscaler Zero Trust platform, we establish that instance in the cloud. We connect the users, the applications into that environment. No, by the way, We've never moved them from where they currently happen to reside. And then with a cloud service, a cloud service provider, uh, we can then migrate that workload from being on-prem into the cloud. So by the time it's all said and done, you have zero IT footprint. What that allows the company to do is find a buyer and not have to sell them a data center, a co-location, all the telecommunication, all the hardware that they created as part of the divestiture. It is a zero IT footprint. It is game changing because once again, we're not just doing the separation in a zero IT footprint with no CapEx, all APEX. It also is being done in record time. Carve-outs for us are very similar to M&A integration. They can happen as quickly and as seamlessly and secure. 
That sounds wonderful. And there's no nuance or is there a nuance when you're looking at serial acquires and maybe the reasons around a merger or a divestiture, whether it's you know, taking out a competitor, acquiring talent, are all those pretty much um, in the same vein when you're looking at what we do? We don't mind what the business drivers happen to be as part of the hypothesis and the landscaping and the, and the deal structure. We don't mind whatsoever. We just know we can support whether it's a serial acquirer or serial divester. And those that do it more than once now suddenly have a muscle. And every time they do it again and again, they start to become faster, more secure, and they drive out more savings. So that whole operational simplification to us is game changing. Uh, it used to take an army to do an m and I, I always joke about this having been through them before. Um, you're gonna pull your top architects, your top engineers away from your transformation journey. And most likely your transformation journey is something cloud native or something around DevSecOps or something around intelligence and analytics or orchestration and automation. But you pull your best and brightest people away from transformative journeys to come back and do something as mundane as an M&A integration. And you really double, you double the impact on the organization by doing so. And our clients today realized, wow, now that I'm a serial acquirer of Zscaler, I'm no longer pulling my best and brightest away from our most important business um, impacting opportunities. We now have a playbook and we have a small little team, a full stack engineer and a site reliability engineer, and they can design, deploy and sustain that environment for an acquisition of any type of any size, let alone an integration or a separation as well. Brilliant. Well, it sounds like you have a great track record with the growth and success we've had with the M&A practice. From this point, you know, now that we got to kind of wrap up, what would you say to corporate strategists and IT leaders who may be involved in a current or upcoming deal and are interested in what we have to offer to help? Yeah, I I really appreciate that opportunity, Chris, because so many clients tell us the first time they hear this is it's too good to be true. And that's what we relish in. We really enjoy that because not only are we that good, we can actually help provide them clarity and color rather quickly. So the first thing I'd ask is reach out to your regional account manager and ask for a conversation. We'd be thrilled to have a discussion with you. The second, please check out our corporate website. We have an entire section on mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, best practices, blueprints, eBooks, white papers. And if that doesn't wet your palate enough, do me a favor, reach out to us and it'll actually demo an M&A integration in under 20 minutes of how we actually make this happen. That's when it starts to be reality, when you can start to see it and you can start to imagine how this could benefit your business going forward. Stephen, thank you very much for bringing our listeners up to date on M&A and you know, this, this secret sauce that Zscaler provides. You know, given how many deals are out there, I'm surprised that more are not taking advantage. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for your time as well as your audience today. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. 
content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.